Lord, man, this is such a good day. I'm already just so excited with these songs and these prayers and these baptisms. God, I just ask right now in this moment, as we look at your word to us, God, I pray that these truths that, we've, that you've told us in your word, that your word will not return void, that your word is useful. I pray, God, that you would speak in only the ways that you can by your spirit. Lord, each of us are here from many different walks of life, many different perspectives. All of us have things that we are battling. I pray, Lord, in this moment, that we would have this encounter with you, that by your word you would speak to the eyes of our hearts, that you would open up the eyes of our hearts, and that you would speak. You would not hear from Logan, you would hear from you, Jesus. So we trust you to speak. We declare that we're open and ready. In your name we pray, amen. Have you ever felt like it was an opposite day? You know what I'm talking about? I know with my kids, we talk about opposite days every once in a while, right? Or, or at school, they do like a backwards day. You wear, your, you, wear your, you wear your shirts backwards. I remember as a kid, I somehow managed to put my jeans on backwards, button them, and zip them up. And sometimes in life, it may feel like, what's happening today? Is today an opposite day? As I was reading the text today, this week, and reflecting on the kingdom of God, and thinking about as Jesus speaks in the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to all who, who, who are invited into the kingdom of God to be a part of his way, his rule. It kind of felt to me like it was a bit of an opposite day. Like, really, Jesus? You want me to do what? Last week, we talked about the kingdom of God. And we talked about in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, the famous passage when Jesus talks about the blessed ones. You remember this? The poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek. And I shared with you this definition, this working definition that, that we have is when we talk about the kingdom, when we, at the end of every service, when we say his kingdom come, his will be done. What is the kingdom? It's, it's not necessarily a far off place. It's not heaven itself. The kingdom defined is the reign of the king in the realm of the zeros. Reign being the actual king himself reigning. And we know in the kingdom it's about his, him reigning not necessarily over a land but over a people. But what is so unique about the story of scripture that we've been reading about is when Jesus came and he said that he came and he was bringing in the kingdom, he said he was bringing in the kingdom for those that feel like zeros, for the spiritually spiritual zeros, those that need a savior. This week in our reading plans, we read from Matthew 9 and Jesus had this inter interaction with the Pharisees. Did you guys read this? It said when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Tax collectors in that time were like scum. They were like double crossers. And they're saying, Jesus, who says he's the, the, the Messiah, he's hanging out with them and hanging out with sinners. And when Jesus heard this, he said, 
those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And Jesus said, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. My prayer every week when we have worship here is that we recognize that we are a church that opens wide its arms for fellow sinners in need of grace. That we are a people who understand that we are invited in as we are. Brothers and sisters in need of grace. Sawyer's middle name, grace. And so we talked about the kingdom defined, and and I would encourage you, if you didn't watch last week's message and you're thinking about what is the kingdom, to go back and watch that on our website. Today, we're gonna focus on, as Jesus continues in this Sermon on the Mount, the kingdom displayed. The kingdom displayed. As we've learned about this, in the kingdom of God, every day, is an opposite day. And here's the thing I want you to think about. Your opposition is not an obstacle, it's an opportunity. Your opposition is not an an obstacle, it's an opportunity. And this feels like an opposite day kind of thing for me. I don't know about you, but I encounter opposition every once, uh, once in a while. Right now, my opposition is actually in the form of a cat. Our cat, Whiskers. Every night, we we, we were being kind to him, and he would, you know, uh, we would let him wander the house, and we have a little doggy door, he goes in and out, but every night, about two in the morning, he decides to go into my boy's room and wake up my son, Nolan, who already has a hard time sleeping sometimes, and wake him up, and and it wakes up the whole family. So we started locking up Whiskers. So Whiskers figured that out, so now he kind of disappears at night. And then about one in the morning, I hear the little doggy door open. And then he comes and he goes and wakes up Nolan. And, it, and so then we started closing the doggy door and now Whiskers is, is scratching and clawing on the doggy door. And right now it's probably Whiskers three, Logan one. He's my opposition. And maybe you have like Whiskers in your life but maybe not in the form of a cat, maybe in the form of a coworker, maybe in the form of a relative, maybe in the form of a political ideology, maybe in the form of blue and white baseball fanaticism, maybe in the form, maybe in the form of somebody on Facebook or Twitter or whatever your social media is saying things that you feel are direct attacks on you. And the things that you stand for and the things that you love. And Jesus here, as you think about how you view that opposition, Jesus here is saying something that feels very much like an opposite day. He's causing his people 
to live in a way that feels so different. Look at what he says. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And I would encourage you to go back. Jesus is talking about this ethic, this kingdom ethic in Matthew chapter 5. And he, tar- he starts off by talking about anger and murder. He says, you've heard it said, do not murder, but I tell you, don't be angry. And then he says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. I say, don't even look at a woman lustfully. He says, you have heard it said, and he makes all of these statements, and he just keeps ramping it up in the kingdom reality of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. When he reigns in our hearts, this should happen in our lives. And then he gets to this point as we're thinking about these statements, you have heard it said, and all of the you have heard it says are laws from the Old Testament. The realities from the Old Testament that people understood this as an actual practice. And so he says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Retribution, right? You punch me in the face, I punch you back in the face. He says, but I say to you, opposite thing, do not resist the one who is evil. Now notice here. He does not say, do not resist evil. This is very important. He does not say, as people of the kingdom, that we are to be a people that just accept evil. That just say, you know what, that's evil, your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth. No, he says to not resist the evil one. This is about a personal relationship with people. It's about personal encounters with other human beings people that are opposed to you and how you react to when they are opposed to you. And so we see this kingdom displayed. And as you think about that with your opposition, he gives us four different examples. One, are you feeling abused? Do you feel like someone has abused you? He says, turn the other cheek. Look at what he says. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, these are, once again, if you go back to Lamentations chapter three, verse 30, he's talking about this. This is more about about honor than it is about physical abuse. When he says the right cheek, whoa. When he says the right cheek, if you think about it, most people are right-handed. If I was to slap someone on the right cheek, this is double dishonor. I'm not slapping them like this. I'm slapping them backhanded. This was an incredible dishonor. And in the, in, the, in the Jewish tradition, this was something that you could actually have like legal recourse for. And once again, this is not about approving of evil. Far too often we read this passage and we just say, when you see or encounter someone in abuse, just turn the other cheek. No, all throughout, if we're reading the whole story of scripture, we know that God's people are a people of justice. We are a people who do stand up for the abused and the oppressed and do not tolerate that. So this is not means. We don't read this verse all by itself and say this means that it's okay for me to be in this abusive relationship and I'm just turning the other, no, that's not what this is saying. 
This is talking about the posture of your heart, and it is talking about having this posture towards those that are opposed to you, towards those that have dishonored you, and not needing to make retribution. Does that make sense? Feeling abused, turn the other cheek. Feeling accused, give him your coat. Jesus says this, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. He's saying not only should you give him the shirt off your back, you should also give him your coat. Once again, contextually for the Hebrew people, this would, this would be above and beyond. This relates to mercy and grace. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is giving what you don't. Getting what you don't deserve, right? He's saying not only to have mercy, but also to have grace. Don't just, when they're asking for your tunic, give them also your coat. This is radical. It feels like opposite day. Trust me, it's just gonna get even more extreme. Jesus is gonna keep raising the bar. Feeling used? You ever feel like people are using you? Like you're not taking, taking like you're not appreciated? He says, feeling used, go the extra mile. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now, we read this, and we don't, once again, we, we, we in, in our year, we think, okay, so this means that, like, if someone comes up to me, I gotta go run two miles? Like, I can barely walk to the fridge. How am I going to run two miles? Now, Jesus is talking here. There was a law at this time. Remember, the, the, the Hebrew Israelite people were under captivity to Rome, and there was a law in place that a Roman soldier could tell one of the captive people, he could say, you need, to take, you need to take my equipment and you need to go a mile with me. You need to help me, it was this government law for them. And Jesus is saying, when you encounter that, you have to do that. And from the people there was probably resentment there was probably anger towards this Roman guard who would ask them to do something that felt like it violated their rights. And Jesus says, don't just go one mile, go two. Woo! I'm not sure that can relate at all, at all to us today. So you're feeling abused, you're feeling accused, you're feeling used. Jesus has these responses to us. It feels like opposite day. And what about the person who's asking for stuff? The person who needs help, the person who needs a loan, he says, you want to refuse? Give to the one who begs. He says, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Have this radical generosity in your heart as a member, this is not about necessarily doing, and this is about saying, Jesus has reigned in my heart and he's calling me to follow his example. To have this radical generosity in us. And I don't know about you, but for me, when I read this, I, I find myself justifying or just saying, well, that's cute. I'm not sure that applies to me today. Or I think about ways that I 
turn the other cheek or give away my coat or go the extra mile or give to the one who begs. But as I read this, this ethic feels like opposite day. And I think Jesus anticipates that in our hearts. I think Jesus anticipates that in your heart right now as he is speaking to his disciples. Because Jesus says, just wait, I'm not done talking. Let's take this to another level, Logan. Look at what he says in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. We read about this in Leviticus, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What? Not only am I to turn the other cheek, not only am I to go the extra mile, not only am I to give the coat off my back, Jesus is saying I need to have an attitude of love in that? You're asking me to be perfect, Jesus. This is impossible. And maybe if you think you're thinking that, Jesus anticipates that. Look at the end verse in verse 48. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Who here is doing good at this, being perfect? Okay. So what do we do with this? Why did Jesus tell us to live this way? That's because we understand these incredible truths. Remember, the reign, the kingdom of God is about the reign of the king in the hearts of his people, in the hearts of his zeros, in the hearts of those who are not perfect, right? Amen? Amen, Logan. And as we think about this idea of turning the other cheek, who modeled to us turning the other cheek? Jesus Christ himself as he was being beaten. As we think about those that have accused us, maybe even accused us wrongly, who modeled to us about what to do when someone accused us wrongly? Jesus in the courts being tried for crucifixion and humbly receiving that as we think about being asked to walk a mile, think about Jesus with a cross, walking a mile to Calvary. As we think about giving to those who are begging, we think about Jesus on the cross, perfect, righteous Jesus, the Son of God himself, saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they have done. It is finished. Dallas Willard says this in his book, The Divine Conspiracy. He says, when Jesus hung on the cross and he prayed, Father, forgive them because they do not understand what they are doing. Hear this, church. That was not hard for him. What would have been hard for him would have been to curse his enemies and to spew forth vileness and evil upon everyone, God, and the world. As those crucified with him did, at least for a while, he, Jesus, calls us to him 
to impart himself to us. He does not call us to do what he did, but to be as he was. Permeated with love. Then the doing of what he did and said becomes the natural expression of who we are in him. That was a lot. I'll just encourage you to go back and read that for yourself. I don't have time to unpack that. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, he said it this way. He said, the command, be ye perfect, is not idealistic gas. It's not opposite day. Nor is it a command to do the impossible. He, Jesus, is going to make us into the creatures who can obey that command. We were talking about this in our teaching team. Pastor Doug said something that I thought was really profound. We were praying and praying for this moment right here. We were talking about what it means, how us, the church, need to be the kingdom of God. And he said this, you cannot be the kingdom without the king. You cannot be the kingdom without the king. Way too often we are trying so hard to turn the other cheek and, 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 and go the extra mile, but yet there's some sort of disconnect or, or lack of faith in the king, the one who's done that for us, who does that in our hearts. We believe this is the gospel. This is what we saw in Lindsay's story in baptism, that she says, he is the king, he's gonna reign in my heart, Lord, that's another word for king, and savior. The one who's called me a child. And so as we read this, as we feel like this feels very much like opposite day, as we feel maybe you're feeling confused, I would just say turn your eyes on Jesus. How's that song go? Help me with it. I sent it when I do them off of memory. I don't do it well. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full at his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Something like that. I, I, I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know what's going on in your lives. But I believe with all my heart that if we can be a people that turn our eyes to Jesus, he does something in us where the kingdom of God is displayed in vessels that should never have that incredible honor and privilege, yet we are. And the kingdom of God every day is opposite day. And your opposition, the whiskers in your life, that's not an obstacle. It's not an enemy. It's an opportunity. Listen, church. Jesus assumes that his church does not have opposition in their own minds. Our hearts don't allow us to see other people as opposition. But we do encounter people who see us as opposition. Do you hear this? And he says, when that happens, we are a people of love. We are a people of the cross. We are a people of turning the other cheek. We are a people of going the extra mile. We are a people who live in the arms of a savior who says, come to me, 
Yeah, clap away. All who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. It is a beautiful, glorious thing to say, I am a child of the king, and the king reigns in the heart of this zero. So church, as you think about this, friend, as you think about this, my question to you today, who is Jesus telling you to love this week? Who is that person that you need to send that text message to, make that phone call to, make that apology to? Maybe for some of us, we need to go on our Facebooks and our Twitters and just apologize to the world. Jesus said, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. Also, by the way, when we say love, we could also just put Jesus' name in front of that. It's not rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Love never ends. Augustine said, what is perfection in love? Love your enemies in such a way that you would desire to make them your brothers. For so did he love, who hanging on the cross said, Father, forgive them for they know not what we do, it says in Romans, for while we were enemies of God, what did he do? He reconciled us by the death of Jesus and the resurrection. As you think about who you need to love this week, I would encourage you, maybe even right now, to write a name down. Because the truth is, none of us are perfect. All of us have someone that we need to love. And for some of us, listen, this may, be, this may feel impossible. You may say, I have no idea how I can forgive, how I can love this person. I cannot do this, I'm trying. As you think about that, I want to read you a story. It's from a lady named Corey Tenboom. She was in a concentration camp for hiding Jews during World War II. And in that concentration camp, she encountered evil beyond what we could ever imagine. Later on, she survived and she would go on to share of the stories of God's faithfulness in that time. She said that she was at a church service in Munich and she saw him a former SS man who had stood guard at the shower door, room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time, 
And suddenly it was all there, the room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, my sister Betsy's pain-blanched face. She said, he came up to me as the church was emptying. And he was beaming and he was bowing. He said, how grateful I am for your message, Brian." He said, to think that as you say, he, Jesus, has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to the people, the need to forgive, I kept my hand at my side. Do you feel like that right now? Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity, and so again I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I prayed, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, through my arm, through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it's not our forgiveness anymore than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges. Say that again. It's not on our forgiveness anymore than on our goodness that the world hinges, but on his. He tells us to love our enemies. He gives, along with the command, the love itself. And so as you think about this question, who am I to love? I encourage you to ask Jesus to give you that love. And it comes from remembering the cross and remembering his love for us. Would you pray with me? Jesus, We just want your kingdom to reign on earth as it is in heaven, but we recognize that we are vessels who are in desperate need of you, King. We don't wanna be the kingdom without the King, God, but yet, oftentimes, we put ourselves on the throne. Lord, we just declare in this moment, you are King. And Jesus, your ways of the kingdom, they are not radical. They are not impossible. All of it can happen through you, Jesus. And so God, we just declare that we turn our eyes upon you. That we're not looking to the side, to the left or the right or even behind us or ahead of us. We're looking at you and we're asking you, Jesus, you lead us, you give us that forgiveness, God. Lord, for some of us, we are in this room, God, and we just need to receive your forgiveness. We just need to know that you said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, that we are sick and that we are in need of you and we just receive that and we pray that out of that you would help us to love 
like you've loved us. As we prayed for sweet Sawyer, we love because you first loved us. So Lord, as we sing of this love, as we fix our eyes on you, I pray, Lord, that we would sing to you. We love you, we give you all the glory. In your name we pray.